Father, we just come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for today, the first Saturday of the seventh month, the third day, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for enabling us, Lord, to wake up. You gave us life. You woke us up. And here we are in your house today, Lord. The privilege, the honor to be in your presence to know you are here with us. For you said if two or three gather in my name, we have come in your name. No other name. We have not come in the name of Grace Tabernacle. We have come in the name of Jesus. And we believe what you said. That when we come together in your name, you are here. For you never lie. God is not a man that he should lie. And we just welcome your presence. We honor your presence. Spirit of God, anoint us this morning, Lord, to hear, Father, to learn. For one purpose, we come to your house to learn of you. Because the more we learn of you, the more comfortable we will be in your kingdom. More at home we will feel as we walk by faith. We will experience your presence. We will know you are there with us. Teach us, Lord, more about you today. I come at this time into the hands of everyone who is here and listening online. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Right, Second Peter 3.18, remember, that's the purpose, the final word of Peter, his final exhortation before God takes him in glory, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, okay? It doesn't say grow in the knowledge of God and in grace, it says grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. That's the way always. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace first. Because if it is truth first, we will not be able to handle it. First he gives us the power. Okay, Then he says, now you can handle it. So that's the purpose. Okay, That's the purpose. So today, we go back to the word of God. We learn from the word of God. We learn to grow in the knowledge of God. We turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Okay, one of the first things which we need to understand is we are image bearers because God created it that way. God created us in his image and God created us in his likeness and we, we, we were called, we were designed to bear the image and the likeness of God. Okay, when man fell, it, it was a catastrophe. We stopped bearing the image and the likeness of God. But the end of redemption, the end of salvation is that we will look like God. I'm not talking about the outward appearance. It doesn't matter. We will act like God. We will think like God. We will talk like God. We will be like God. That's the whole purpose of salvation. Okay, that again in eternity in the universe, we will bear the image and the likeness of God. 
So in this image in which we bear of God, okay, all talking this saved people, there are of course don'ts and do's. The don'ts are things which God doesn't do. You have to see it that way. Okay? And the do's are things which God does. Otherwise it will just become a law. That's a problem. The law fails. The law fails is that the law uh, is only supposed to be pointing to God. Okay? But the lawgivers, everybody made the law separate and then kept on adding. Okay? Kept on adding. So there are don'ts and do's. And sometimes, or rather often, we focus so much on the don'ts that we miss out on the do's. Okay, James 4 and verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay. To do is talking about doing. Sometimes, no, we talk about like in everything there are don'ts. Okay. Even in this, uh, in the most famous, well-known, authentic description about what love is, love does, and love does not. Okay. Does not. Okay. We should not, but we should do. So sometimes when we are defensive, we will say, but I did not do that. <laughs> but the problem is that you did not do this. Okay, so remember last week, yeah, just can you be seated? You're distracting me. Will you please sit down? Please sit down. Once the word starts, please sit down. People who come in late, it's okay, but others all sit down. Relax. Earth is not shaking. God is in control. Everything is fine. Just sit. Okay, everything is fine. Nothing is more important than God. And for God, nothing is more important than us. Okay, honestly, he didn't die for the angels, still baffles my mind. He didn't die for the angels. So last week in from Titus 1 8, Titus 6 7 was talking about, we don't have to go there, the don'ts, but when we said, be hospitable. Because God is hospitable. We saw Jesus begins his journey in the gospel according to John by being hospitable. Where do you stay? <laughs> the very strange question. <laughs> I mean, follow him. Okay, and they come and they said, what do you seek? They said, where do you say? He says, come. He was very hospitable. And he ends his term on earth. We can say that, okay, in his resurrection body, being hospitable. Okay, he cooks a meal for them, feeds them, restores Peter, prophesies over them, and then he ends his journey on earth. Hospitable, okay. Why is this, all these things important? Let me tell you why this is important. The thing is, there are two things in life. One is reality and the other is perception. Okay. Our perception may be absolutely wrong from reality. Okay, reality. Like if you listen to MSM, mainstream media, <laughs> Trump is an ogre. He seems to be the antichrist. Okay. But reality is a very nice guy. He's a very, very nice guy. Okay, very nice guy, very loving guy, very caring guy. He's helped so many people. I mean, he's a very nice guy. Okay, very nice guy. Okay, we may say, but he's married three times. So the problem is not that. The issue is that look at his children. His children from every marriage adore their father. They respect his father. Okay, so you may fail in a marriage, but doesn't mean you failed as a father. 
Okay, because marriage is between two people. So you look at it. But you see, reality and perception. Our perception, we receive it from MSM, media. Okay? And the problem is, we have a perception about God, which is not real. What happens if you are listening to the mainstream media from the pulpit? Now let us leave, okay? Or oh, what God is? What God is? Okay? Our perception and the reality of who God is can be completely distorted. Which is true. Post-fall, the image of God has been completely been distorted. Okay? And that was how the enemy began in the garden, about lying about God. Okay, if you look, I didn't give it to you, but if you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, okay, how he comes and deceives. You see, you look at, has God indeed said you shall not eat every tree of the garden? But that's not what God said, okay? There's only one tree and God said don't eat. But how does he come? He distorts the image of God. When God is saying you can eat from every tree and this one don't eat because you eat, it's bad for you, you will die. He comes and tells, did God say you cannot eat from all the trees? He distorts the image of God, that he's not a good God. He distorts. First he distorts. Okay, that God has kept all these things from you. He makes it sound as if God said, you can eat only from this one tree and you cannot eat from any other tree. Distorts the image. Okay, distorts the image. That's how it begins. And that lie has been perpetuated down the centuries. And the fallen man kept on distorting the image of God that by the time it comes to the tenth generation, the Bible says every thought, inclination of his heart was evil. The image and the likeness of God has been completely been distorted. Okay? This is what A.W. Tozer said in his knowledge of the holy. What comes to our mind when we think of God is what is most important about us. Who we perceive God to be will ultimately impact our life and it will shape our relationship with Him. Have you noticed why is it that some people, though being in the church for years, never really draw close to God? It's because of their perception about him. And one of the primary reasons Jesus came is to reveal the Father. He's trying to say, you know what? He's not like what you have heard in John chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. Okay? Law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He says, you know why? I can tell you exactly what the Father is. I've come from his heart. I've been with him from eternity to eternity. I will tell you, he is exactly as I represent him. If there is one person, true, like Father, like Son, it was God and his Son. Okay? God and his Son. Okay? So Jesus, one of them, you need to understand a lot of people are not excited about going to heaven. They're still trying to build a heaven on earth. That's why we are so worried. Why are people so anxious? Why 
why people so worried? Because at the end of it all, the worst thing that can happen to you technically in the world is death. But if people really, really loved God and just wanted to go home, just wanted to go home, would people be worried? I still can't think about my first year degree under graduation. I just didn't write my, you know, board exam because I just wanted to go home. Just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go home. Okay, that's all. Home was very, very far away. It would take me three days to reach home. But you know what I did? I didn't even tell my parents that I didn't write the exams. <laughs> I wrote the first and the second year together. So it affected my marks in my and If you look at my undergraduate marks, why it is not so great as my post-graduation is because I just wanted to go home. Okay, and the board exams did not matter. Your career did not matter. Nothing mattered. I just took the train and I went home. Okay, went home. Okay, think about it. No, does anybody sitting here think about heaven as home and this as a hotel? (laughs) (laughs) What do people want to stay in the hotel? I told my wife last week, I said, the only thing I like about a hotel, I mean, it's not that I don't like, dislike hotels, okay, the only thing I like about a hotel is that I can work well in the hotel. I'm the only dude who will go to different countries and never get out of the hotel. (laughs) Never. Except to go out to preach. Any country. I love the hotel. Because one, I don't have to worry about the food, it will come. And I can sit there, nobody will disturb you. And you can sit and work, pray, work without disturbance. That's the only thing reason I like hotels. Other than that, no. Okay. So what did Jesus come? Jesus come to reveal us there is a place called home, and there is a family in heaven, and there is a father. Okay? In John seventeen and verse three, this is eternal life. We know what life on earth is like. But this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God. This is eternal life. No? This is eternal life. This is eternal life. Okay. Think about me, a fallen creature, in my teens, with fallen parents. Jesus said, you fathers being evil. Okay. Compared to God, the best man on earth is evil. Okay. Father who was alcoholic, a mother who had a temper on a short fuse, still wanted to go home. It didn't matter. You still wanted to go home because there was a place called home. And it was any day better than the hostel. And my hostel was really, really good. Don't misunderstand hostel. I don't know which kind of hostels you lived. My hostel was good. We all got single rooms. And there was non-veg 18 times a week. People in my college, because I need to tell you what I was leaving to go to. Otherwise you will think hostel was so terrible, that's why he ran home. No. People who lived in homes used to come and be my guests to eat in the mess. Because they said the food was so great. There was no compulsion in college. You could attend you don't have to attend. If you didn't want to attend, somebody else spoke out your roll number. So you could attend. So there is no pressure anywhere. There's no pressure anywhere. Friends are all great. You have fun. But there is a place called home. 
which beats all this. Okay, so make your home a good place, a happy place. So God says, this is a race, this is what eternal life, life on earth, and this is eternal life that you know you, God. Look at verse 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I have declared to them your name. I have declared to them you, who you are. And will declare it. Will continue declare. How will he continue to declare it? When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll continue declaring. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He says, you know, Dad, this is why I came. You know? They messed up your image. And I'm very zealous for your name. I've come to reveal you to them. Reveal you to them. And I've revealed you to them. And I will continue revealing you to them. So that they will be lovesick for hope. Well, Paul will say, if you ask me, I want to go. But for your lay, for the sake of you, I will labor here. If you ask me, I want to go home. That's how those who understood God, understood the heart of the Father, you know, you know, they were never miserable on earth. Oh, I miss this. I don't have this. No. They're very content because they knew to whom they were going. It is not where they were going. If there is not the home there, then there is no meaning with the where. That's what I keep when I teach and when I used to talk to my students in my classroom. Because I used to talk, literature is a very good subject to talk life, okay? I used to tell them. Uh, all houses are not homes. All homes may be a house. But all houses are not. Because they were orphan children. Not orphans without parents. But they were children who never knew the love of parents. That was the nature of that nation. Because it was a a moral nation. Not immoral. A moral nation. So they never knew what parenthood was. They never knew what a home was. So the children, you need to realize the, 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 the captivating spirit on planet earth is the orphan spirit. And most of the things which people do is because of the orphan spirit. Orphan spirit. Why do we seek things? What is the, what is the most prominent character of the fallen man? His covetous. Why is he covetous? Because the orphan spirit is only satisfied with things. Satisfied with things. That's the nature of the orphan spirit. Okay? Orphan spirit. If you ever met orphans when they come first, they will eat too much. Because they are not sure whether they will have their second meal. They hoard things. They hoard things. And it is the nature of the fallen man who is an orphan spirit to covet. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? In your father's house, it's everything. You never have to covet. You can be content. He loves you like you are the last thing on earth. He loves you. Okay. You never, never have to covet. Be content. Eyes haven't seen, ears heard. God is preparing a place for you. He loves you like you're the only person on earth. Okay. So we need to understand what Jesus came to reveal and what is our struggle until we understand Father, unless we understand God, know God, we'll never be truly free. Salvation does not lie in knowing things. Salvation lies in knowing a person. And and Jesus said, you know what? The image of my father has been completely distorted and have come to reveal the father. Reveal the father. 
And he says, I will continue. Because no man can know God other than through Jesus Christ. Why? As long as we are in this body, we cannot truly know God. But we can know Jesus because Jesus came in this body. Okay? That's why Jesus took this body. He did not come as an angel. Because if he had come as an angel, all his angelic appearances before incarnation, they did not really understand God. But when he became flesh and dwelt among us, it's like taking the whole ocean and putting it in a cup. That's what Jesus did. He took divinity, God, and came in the flesh and said, this is what God looks like. You know, if you were to... If God were to be a man, this is what God would like. If your father, heavenly father were to be a man, this is what. That's why he is called in Isaiah the everlasting father. Okay, he's called the everlasting father. So for 6,000 years, what we have often is a misrepresentation of who God is. In John 1, verse 14 and 15, this is what the gospel says. The word became flesh. Word was with the Father, and the Word that was God became flesh, dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as what? The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. We saw Him. What is God? Full of grace. What is God? Full of truth. God reveals himself primarily to his creation, us, not the angels, the creation, the physical, material creation, primarily in three ways. The first way he reveals is through creation. Psalm 19, 1 to 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. So what is saying that? All that we can see declares who God is. So man is not without excuse. Romans one twenty will say, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Okay, clearly seen. They see it. And we don't uh, condemn the non-believers. Why do they worship the sun? Because they see an attribute of God in it. Why do they worship the forces of nature? Because they see. And, uh, but the problem is the minds get blinded. They start thinking these things are God. And God is far above all this. So first God reveals himself through his creation. That's why most scientists are not atheists. They may not believe in the living God, but they are theists. Because they look at it and you realize, you know what, these things can, it's impossible for these things to have come unless there is a maker behind it. Okay. Second way God reveals is through his word. Okay. And the spoken word, the written word. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay. His word was given from the beginning. God spoke to man through different ways. And the clearest form is through Jesus. That is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Right? In him dwells all fullness of Godhead bodily. Okay? So three primary ways. One is creation. Second to the word. God speaks through creation. God speaks through creation. Okay? And God, the devil goes against it. That's why he supplanted creation with evolution. 
because she does not want people to believe in creation because then they will start believe in the creator in the creator okay that's why he does that's why he supplants the young minds where do you learn evolution in school in school and by the time you come to high school everybody wants to be proud to be known as a atheist okay because that's how he supplants he supplants everything okay and then he brings in evolution of man why because he does not want man to even to know or to believe he was made in the image of god because it gives you worth it gives you what you, you do, do not do not uh, look at your worth by who sells you look at your worth by who buys you okay joseph was sold for 30 pieces of silver and then those guys sold him for a little they're making profit but that is not his worth his worth is by who buys you your worth is not set by those who so don't listen to what the devil says and set your worth your worth is by what god says about you okay so god speaks through creation god speaks through the word okay he speaks through the word and his spirit and his greatest clearest expression of who he is is through Jesus okay through Jesus Christ when god became flesh and dwelt among us has the only begotten son of god full of grace and full of truth okay and you know what jesus came to tell us jesus came to tell us you know what my father is good my father is good it's not what you like think of it's not like what these pharisees and sadducees and scribes and lawyers and all these preachers including us including me sometimes you know, make god look like as he really is not there are two sides of god okay but we should not focus we should be it, it only the holy spirit can help us to balance god to put a f- complete picture the complete picture so we saw last week in titus 1:8 right we saw you know titus 1 uh, yeah be hospitable right and what the second thing mentioned there be a lover of what is good why because god is good god is good why are we learning all these things why do we come for that's what i said a lot of people are not preparing for heaven they are preparing for earth so they are not interested in the teaching of the word of god i said we are not acquiring knowledge we are getting to know who our father is ultimately when we walk with him the angel should be able to say like father like son like father like daughter that is the whole idea but those who are preparing for earth and just wants to go to heaven when they die they will major in other stuff okay i'm not saying about your career i'm saying about how you spend your time okay we all have time we all have time on our it's not that nobody has time does not have time i mean jesus had time plenty of time and he came for the most difficult work on earth so god is good therefore we need to be a lover of what is good and the thing about god is that god is good and though we sing and we sing it it's become like routine the fact is that god is good all the time because god does not change he never changes so all the time god is good if you look at psalm 106 and verse 1 the next three verses one by one praise the lord or give thanks to the lord for his good and his mercy endures for why do we thank god because he is good and his mercy endures for ever psalm 118 verse 1 oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his mercy endures for 
ever, 136, just giving you three, there are hundreds of them, 136 verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. God is good and His mercy endures forever. In Romans 11 and verse 22, the Bible says, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Both. Okay, but we will put aside severity. We like severity. But we will put preachers like severity. We will put severity aside. We will look at the goodness of God. Okay, goodness of God. Okay, but but also, please remember, sometimes people, when pastors, including Paul, when they are zealous about the severity of God, is because he, out of love, they don't want you to lose out. Lose out. Okay, teachers are tough in the classroom. Why? Right? So that you don't lose out in life. Okay. Teachers who come and sit on the desk. I know teachers like that because I've seen, you know, do whatever you want to do. I will get my salary anyway. There are people like that. And there are others who are not like that. They're very serious. They're very, very serious. You know? Okay. Very, very serious. They said, no, you need to learn your subject because, you know, because we used to tell our students, don't just pass. Don't just pass. Do well. Because it will help you all your life. Okay? Help your life. In the same way in the kingdom of God, we talk about the severity of God. It's not that he's going to take a saved child and throw him into hell. No, it's not that. You will miss out in eternity. Okay? Remember about that. This is talking about the children of Israel, the first generation. He did not allow one person to cross the Red Sea and go back. He did not allow you. I brought you. I will keep you. I'll feed you. But you know what? You're going to miss out. On what is there in the promised land. I had all this for you. Houses you did not build. Wells you did not have. Flocks and gold and silver. In the same way, eyes haven't seen or ears. What God has kept for heaven. But he says, you know what? I'm being a righteous father. cannot give it to an undeserving child. Like I told you to run your race. I told you to cast off these things and run. These things were all kept for you. It's not that he throws his children into hell. Don't get it wrong when you're talking about severity of God. Okay. So consider the goodness of God. So he's telling us in the church, learn to love what is good. Because it is because of the goodness of God that we are saved. Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God. Or do you despise what? The riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering. Knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. I think about it. Lord, why are you so late in coming? He says, because of my goodness. What if I had come early? Would you be saved? No. (laughs) Malayali pastors have a beautiful way of explaining this in Malayalam. He says, most Christians are like those fellow who's waiting on the roadside for the transport bus. Okay? He's been waiting, waiting, waiting. And but as soon as he gets into the bus, he doesn't want the bus to stop for anybody else on the road. <laughs> you get saved at fifty five and God is so patient with you. You got saved at fifty five. Once you get in your impatient with everybody, why are you not getting saved? And God says, Boy, I was patient with you this long. <laughs> I was patient with you all this while. Okay, the goodness of God, the forbearance of God, the long suffering of God, that is what keeps on bringing us to repentance. Right? Isn't it true? Even till today? It is the goodness of God. Think about the father of the prodigal son. 
Okay. Luke 15 and verse 30. Okay. 30. The elder son. 3030. Okay. The elder son has kept a record of the wrongs. Okay. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, meaning he wasted all your money, all your money, and spent it all on harlots. But do you know that when the son came back, the father lists nothing? The father lists nothing. Think about the goodness of God. Forget the elder brother. What if God has to list everything? The father lists nothing. And God is just, why is he telling all these parables? He's saying, you know what, when you come back to God, God will list nothing. Absolutely nothing. He'll never remember anything against your name. It doesn't matter what you left you. You spend your entire life on harlots. But on the last moment, like the thief on one side, you cried out and God saved. He's not going to list anything. List anything. He's not going to list anything. This is the truth about God. It's the truth about God. We are not, uh, but bringing down the severity. We are not, okay? I'm not, but we are not uh, negating the grace of God, the mercy, and the goodness of God either. Okay. See, Moses had many encounters with God. His first encounter was at the burning bush. He saw the holiness of God take off your shoes, and he saw a slight demonstration of the power of God. Then he went with that knowledge of God into Egypt and he saw the mighty, mighty power of God. All the way he came. Then he has another encounter with God. This is when he comes down the mountain. Then he has another encounter. In the mountain up there, 40 days, he sees the holiness, the righteousness of God comes down with the law. But then in the tent of meeting, he has another encounter with God. And in the encounter with God, he asked this question in Exodus 33 and verse 18. He says, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Okay. Now, God could have shown his glory in terms of power. You want to see my glory? Boom! Nothing. God could have shown him his glory in terms of his holiness. He didn't. He could have shown him his glory in his righteousness. He didn't. Is there glory in all this? Yes, definitely. But you know, when God chose to reveal his glory to Moses, you know how he showed him in verse 19? I will make all my goodness. See, I want you to know first, not my power, not my holiness will scare you to death, not my righteousness. I want you to know first, you know what, my goodness. I am a good God. I want you to know me as a good father. I'm a good father. And you know what? And I will show you my goodness primarily. The two facets of my goodness you will show, see me is in two things. I am gracious and I'm compassionate. Meaning, in my grace and in my mercy. I want you to experience my goodness. God's goodness is revealed to us every day in his mercy and in his grace. And you go through the episodes, through the episodes, the entire thing talks about the mercy of God and the grace of God. And we are called to come boldly, confidently, you don't have to go there, confidently to the throne room and receive mercy and the grace of God for every need. Why? Because that is the image of God. That is the goodness of God. That is who God is. That is who you are. <laughs> who are you? That is who you are. The God who is good. 
God of mercy and God of grace. So when Jesus came, he was holy, he was righteous, was mighty in power. But different people gathered near him for different things. Some people came to see his power. Some people came to see his teaching. But all the sinners flocked around him because he was full of mercy and full of grace. All those who were shunned by the society, the sinners flocked around him because he was compassionate. He was merciful and he was full of grace. That even a leper could cry out. One leper cried out, the word went out. You know what the word went out? It's not that he just heals leprosy, he stops for lepers. He hears the cries of lepers. When in their entire history, no Jew has been ever healed of leprosy. They said, somebody is here, he's kind to lepers. The woman with an issue of blood would break every law. Because she knew, you know what, there's something about him. Something about him. I can go and touch him from behind and I will be healed. Okay. Even Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is condemned by the Jews. Is drawn by his goodness. If you turn with me in NIV, I'd not give it to you. Second Peter chapter one, verses one to five. KJV and NIV. Okay. The words, the meaning is the same. Second Peter chapter one, verses one to five. Got it? Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God, Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in the abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What is virtue? Virtue is goodness. What is virtue? It is the goodness of God. Why did he call us? Why does he give us everything? Because he is a good God, because of his goodness. Okay, and go to verse 4. Through these he has given us very great precious promises so that through them you may participate. Okay, and verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. What? Why? Because God is good. Okay, and what does KJV say? When she touched the hem of his robe, what? What is virtue? It is the goodness of God that flew into her body. Okay, the goodness of body. Goodness of God. And how does it primarily manifest it into our lives? As mercy and grace. So this picture of God, and that is what, so, what is God teaching us? What he's telling us in the book of Titus, he's telling us through the Bible, he says, you know what? Learn to love what is good. Why should I learn to love what is good? Because your father is good. Your dad is good. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Maybe you do not have that power. Maybe you do not have a gift of healing, miracles, nothing. But if you have, you are born again and you have the Holy Spirit, you can still go around doing good. You can still do good. Even children can do good. They can do good. Why? Because that is the nature of the Spirit of God in us. He is Good. And it's, like I said, two facets of his goodness is mercy and grace. They are completely different. Okay? Mercy and grace are not the same. 
Mercy is not receiving the punishment we deserve. Wages of sin is death. Shall not die. Mercy is not receiving the punishment we deserve. Grace is receiving the blessing we do not deserve. And how does he show his goodness every day? He is merciful and is gracious. Every day we wake up, we realize we have sinned. If you wake up with thought realizing you have sinned, that means you are raptured. Okay. And that's why his mercies are new every morning. We go and he, you know, mercy. And grace, the blessings of God, we receive, which we don't deserve. Listen to the most well-known parable of Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son. Okay? Think about it. The prodigal son has come. He's rehearsed it very well. Okay? I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. I've sinned against you, God, and against you. He's rehearsed and comes. But when he comes, the father doesn't let him complete his sentence. What does it mean? You are forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. He said, get the best robe. Does he deserve that? No. Get the sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted cow. What is that? That is grace. That's what Jesus is talking this story. And what has this boy, according to the expert report of the elder brother, <laughs> spent the entire inheritance on? Harlots. And what has God said? Mercy and grace. Because he's come back. He's come back home. He's come back home. Okay. So mercy is receiving what we deserve. Not receiving what we deserve. Grace is receiving the blessing that we do not deserve. And God says, come boldly. Come boldly. So we have to get the right picture of who God is. Otherwise, you know what? We will not go to God. The only reason we think about heaven is because we are afraid of hell. And not we really, really are longing to go to this place called home. That's what Hebrews 4.16 says. You know, he came, come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace and receive mercy and grace for every need. Out of, why do we receive it? Because of the goodness. Meaning God is, Jesus is saying, and Paul understood, he says, never be afraid to go to your father. Never, ever be afraid. Should be excited to go to your father. You can come without fear. Come to him. And John will say, how did he come? With grace upon grace. Okay, grace upon, we held this, I think it's 17 actually. He came up with grace upon grace. Okay, is it 17? Yeah. But the law was given, but, yeah, sorry, not 17. It's grace out of his grace, fullness we have received. NIV will say blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace. 16, okay, grace upon grace, fullness. When we come to come, what do we receive? Blessing. Do you really think, honestly think about it, okay? The most set of lazy workers I have seen in my life are Christians. Gentiles work much harder, honestly. Gentiles work much harder. Much harder. Because they, they know they can be terminated. We are living under mercy, so we don't work. Most Christians I have seen do not deserve a promotion. But we get promoted. We have houses which we didn't build. <laughs> We have cars which we did not buy. We eat food which we never bought. You know why? Because he is good to us. Because of his goodness. But that should make us even more hardworking. But we still don't learn the lesson. 
right because we are like the children in the wilderness wandering and eating eating and wandering Psalm 145 verse 9 145 verse 9 Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works all his works You know what Jesus said you know how tender your father is his teaching is you know how tender your father is Kaisa sometimes too hard she said do you know how not even a sparrow falls to the earth without your father in heaven knowing you know the sparrow is the most common of birds Nobody gives two hoots about a sparrow. Other birds we will look at. Sparrow is so common. Who thinks about a sparrow? This is your father does. How many sparrows are there? A billion. And everyone is numbered by your father. Not even one falls. You know why? Because that's his creation. You are his prime creation. But that's his creation. And his tender mercies are over all his works. And God is good to all. Luke 6 verse 35 you know what god is saying over there love your enemies do good do good and lend hoping for nothing in return your reward will be great you will be the sons of the most high why for he is good to the unthankful and the evil is amata did we wake up in the morning say thank you lord no we didn't we went to whatsapp facebook So God say okay you went to WhatsApp you went to Facebook okay today nothing for you didn't say no it say that he's still good he still was kind and merciful to us right that's what God is saying mark 5 and verse 45 that you may be the sons of your father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good sends rain on the just and on the unjust Why Lord why are you sending a rain on the unjust because I am good I'm always good That is his nature okay Therefore we are issued a challenge by the psalmist in Psalm 34 and verse 8 Oh taste and see that the Lord is good You can't say God is not good did you taste and see did you experience it did you try him out Oh taste and see the lord is good so we get so caught up in our circumstances our situations our problems our anxieties everything but we forget that god is good all the time in spite of what we are going through that is his incredible assurance for god's children which they do not have it is not that god is bad for them no he is not is god to them but they do not know that because the gods of this world you have to appease them they are fearsome the curse you they intimidate and the problem is once the law was given by the law giver and a little time later you know what happened they changed the image of god they made that god look like one of the pagan gods pagan gods that is fearsome is angry all the time is mad at you and jesus came and said who told you this my dad is not angry is angry at evil but is not angry at you And God is not angry. Let me say, He's not angry at all anymore, because He took His wrath and poured it upon His Son. We're just waiting for the sinners to repent and come back. And if repent, at the end, if people go to hell, it's only because they did not want God. It's like some man of God said, God is sending nobody to hell; they are going themselves, because <laughs> they don't want to be with God. 
And the goodness, remember this goodness which God says we need to have is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22 and Ephesians 5.9, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And Ephesians 5.9, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Okay? So God is saying, be good. Be good. He says, be good. Okay? We need to meditate upon the goodness of God. Okay? Psalm 145 and verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. God is good to all and His tender mercies are over all His works. But like I said about the Malayali pastors talk about the fellow who gets into the bus, we are like Jonah. Be good to me, don't be good to them. So he was very upset when Nineveh repented and God turned his hand. And he was good, God was good to them. Very upset. Okay, very upset. That is why when he's sitting in the sun, God first made a creeper, so he had shade. And then he scotched it. And he's very upset. He says, did you see your attitude? Did your attitude stinks? Sometimes our attitude stinks. That's what I sometimes tell preachers. Don't make the gospel so difficult that you don't want anybody getting into heaven. It is not so difficult. It is so very easy. <laughs> Sanctification is one thing. Salvation is another thing. There are people who are going to get into heaven multitudes upon multitudes with no sanctification. It is a fact of truth of the gospel. That is, they will just come through the flames with nothing. So don't say that unless you are sanctified, you will not enter into heaven. No. If you are saved, you need to be sanctified. That's a different teaching altogether. But don't try to put the bar so high that it looks as if you are saved by your works. God says, no, you are not. You are not. That's why Jesus made these stories to teach them. Remember the story. Why does the story of the prodigal son touch people so much? Because you know what? There is no works that boy can talk about. He has nothing to talk about. He has, doesn't even have a penny of his father's money to give it back. The other fellow at least hid his talent. This fellow has nothing. He lost it. And the father says, come back. He knows the eldest brother. He knows the elder son very well. So he says, no, best robe, that is the father's robe. So no, the elder, eldest brother's robe stinks. It is self-righteousness. Don't, don't, that robe he will not give to the younger one. It's the father's robe, which is genuine righteousness of God. Okay. We need to get these pictures around, okay? So when we, that's what I always, we always say in our church, and I always say wherever I go, please remember this. If you are organizing a meeting and calling me, remember I preach to believers. So when I speak to them, they are already saved, I speak to them about sanctification. But if there is anybody in this crowd who is not saved, this message is not for you. Just come to the Lord as as you are. He loves you. Don't misunderstand the message for those who are saved and stay out. Don't you do that. Just come in just as you are. You are welcome. You are welcome. That's You are saved by grace through faith. And after grace only truth comes. Only truth of sanctification. Otherwise you will be destroyed by truth. Because truth preached to an unbeliever, the sermon on the mount, he will run for his life. You can't even keep the law. How can you keep the sermon on the mount? Hmm? 
Imagine an adulterer is coming, Lord have mercy. And then you hear, sir, even if you look at a woman with lust, this fellow has already committed something. And here is the fellow, he will run for his life. Yeah, this church, there is no hope at all. Let me go to my pagan God. At least he commits adultery. <laughs> do you think, do you understand where it is coming from? The difference between what you tell the unsaved and to those who are saved. Okay, imagine the murderer who has been released on parole and he comes to church and if you are angry with your brother, you will go to hellfire. He says, I committed murder. This man is talking about anger. What hope do I have? So please don't misunderstand the gospel. The gospel that is preached to the unbelieving is a gospel of mercy and grace. And then what is preached to those who are saved is still the gospel of grace and truth, not truth alone. Grace first. Grace first and truth. So understand. Okay? Because God is always the same. He never changes. He never, never changes. Okay? Understand this. The prodigal son took all the money, converted it into cash, went and splurged it. He changed. He changed. He went from bad to worse to evil. You know what? The father never changed. What if the father had changed even as he was changing? You are bad. I am angry. You are evil. I am mad. You are wicked. I have wrath. What if the father changed? He didn't change. That's why he is able to come back. Because the father did not change. You know why we are able to come back? Because God does not change. If God changes, we have no hope. We have no hope. That's why pagan gods, some gods, big eyes, some red eyes, because they keep on changing. More and more and more angry. Tongue and blood and sword and this thing. Our God is not like that. He's not like that. He never changes. Meaning, he's good all the time. I believe when he finally sends everybody to hell, a whole lot of people to hell, he says, for your own good, go there. (laughs) Because you will be miserable here. Miserable here. You loved wickedness in your life. Loved wicked. Go to that place. That's for you. And this is for people who have loved goodness. Okay. The older son, on the other hand, stayed with the father and never understood the father's heart. Look at Luke 15 verse 29 and then verse 31. He never understood. Hmm? He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed. Is that how you look at serving God? I've been slaving for you. No. How did Jesus come? The son who knew the father. And that son is the one who's gonna slave time, no time to eat, most time sleeping out in the open and finally being mocked and spat and beaten and crucified. You know what the son said? Father, I delight to do your will. But what did the son say who did not understand the heart of the father? I am slaving for you. And you know what? I never disobeyed you. But you never gave me anything to celebrate. You know what the father said? Verse 31. He said, son, you're always, all that I have is yours. What stopped you? <laughs> what stopped you? What stopped you from, you could have taken that fatted calf. I wouldn't have said anything. You see, we do not understand the heart of the Father. You can stay in a church and hear all the sermons and you slavishly, like a slave, not like a son, serve him and always be grudging, Lord. You never gave me anything. 
never gave me anything. You know, the, the eldest son who stayed back did not know the heart of the father. That's what God is talking about. Okay. And Jesus came to reveal the goodness of the father in John chapter 1. We don't have to go there. John chapter 1. He reveals the goodness of God to two disciples that they went out the next day and said, we have found the Messiah. In chapter 2, though it is not his time, in his goodness, he turned the entire tone of a wedding. In chapter 3, he sits and discusses about salvation to a Pharisee who wants to save his reputation, comes in the night. He goes with him. (laughs) He says, no, you come back in the morning. I don't like your attitude. Your reputation is so big for you, right? I'm not telling you anything. Come back in the morning. Let everybody see you coming. He didn't do that. Sat in the night with him. I don't want anybody to see me. Jesus is such a nice person. You don't want to go. He would blow up the candle. Let's sit in the dark and speak. <laughs> it's okay. I am light anyway. You are so worried about your reputation. So far, I am good. <laughs> Chapter 4 is the unbelievable. In his goodness, he goes in search of a woman. Like I said last time, he will not put anybody to shame. He sends everybody off. Okay? Doesn't accuse her. Doesn't condemn her. Just tells the truth. This is who you are. And she said, free. Why? Because this is the goodness of God. You see the goodness of God. Okay? And if we don't see the goodness of God, we will not find it difficult to relate to Him. In Psalm 31 and verse 19, this is what the psalmist says. Have mercy. 19, not 9, 19. How great is your goodness. How great is it? Your goodness is not just how great you have stored up. You know, when we go to heaven, we will see the goodness of God. You know? Let's think in monetary terms on earth. If uh, Jeff, what is his name? Bissos or whatever. Yeah, Bissos. Where to spend a million a day. <laughs> a day. How many years will it take him to finish his wealth? Huh? 150 billion or 200 billion he has. A billion is a thousand million. Okay? 200,000 million rupees he has. And he decides to spend 1 million a day. You know how many years it will take him? Do you know all of eternity won't be enough to finish off the goodness God has stored for us? How great is your goodness? Great is your goodness. That's what the Bible is talking about. How good good is. Can you even measure the goodness of God? This was the entire mission of Jesus Christ to show how good his father is. How loving. How long suffering. That rather than send everyone to hell, which means eternal separation from him. Okay. To meet the righteous standard of his holiness and his righteousness. You know what he did? Rather than send people to hell, he sent his son to the cross. That is the goodness of God. That's why they said, whosoever, whosoever. So the question is, how great is his goodness? How great is him? He's, imagine, get at these two terms, mercy and grace. He not only forgave of all of our sins, iniquities, he also gave us the grace that is a power to become the sons of God. You see, both of it come in the goodness of God. Mercy, all your sins are forgiven. Grace, 
whoever believed in him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. You know, the entire Psalm 23 is about the goodness of God. He leads me beside still waters, green pastures. No, think about it all. No, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. You're with me. You never leave me. You're always with me. You spread a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And when you look at the goodness of God, you know what this king says? I want to live with you forever. I want to dwell in your house forever. You look at, unless we understand the goodness of God, we will not think constantly about eternity. What is eternity? It's knowing God and living with him forever. Why does he want to dwell in the house forever? Because he says, when I look at your goodness, good times, bad times, evil times, terrible times, you are always good to me. You know what? I just want to live with you forever. And you know what? And I look into my life, what follows me always? Goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. We need to get the image of God right. You know, when we get the image of God right, you know what happened? We'll want to be with God. And God talks to us. Jesus teaches us about how detailed the goodness of God is. Look at this. Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? That's the cheapest you can get in the market. Jewish market. Two sparrows. One copper coin. That's how cheap it is. Okay, Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But when it comes to you, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God says, do you know how detailed his concern for you is? Okay, That is why worry is a sin against God. <laughs> because when you worry, and when we are anxious, we are saying, Lord, you don't care. God said, do you know how detailed my care about you is? How much I care for you? Okay, look at Matthew six thirty-one to 33. 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Meaning, we don't need these things? Of course we need. Why? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Who are Gentiles? It's not a terrible name. These are people who do not know God as their father. Those are Gentiles. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You don't have to worry about these things. Why? Because your father is so good. And he knows that you need all these things. His concern for you is so much. So what should you do? You should seek the kingdom of God and his right. What does it mean? Instead, you should try to be like your father. Your focus should not be about trying to worry about these things. Your focus should be about trying to become like your father. Because when you become like your father without worry, without anxiety, doing good, you know what? People will start knowing, okay, like father, like son, their God is different. That is what happened in the first stage in the apostolic church. People were being added to the church because they looked at them and said, you know what? And these are the ones who are being added are not Gentiles, they are all Jews. The Jews were leaving Judaism and entering into the new religion called Christianity or the way. Why? Because they found this picture is more authentic of the God of the law. This is the God who is a father. And they are leaving this messed up picture and entering into an authentic picture and say, you know what? That's the God we are going to serve. Okay? The law only pointed us to this real God. We have found the real God. Okay, so please understand this. God's children should always remember that 
we are not slaves to the actions of evil men. We are not. Our Father is watching every aspect of our life. That is why we are able to say, only those who know God, and know God is good all the time, are able to say, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So why do they know? How can all things work for my good? Because God is good. My Father is good. My Father is good. He's, it's not like you fathers who are evil who give good things. God who is good will only give do good things. That even That's why, look at what uh, Genesis 50 and verse 20, what Joseph says. Fifty verse twenty. You intended to harm me. You meant it for evil, but God intended it for why? Because God is good. God is good. So it doesn't matter what the world does to God's children. There is a God who is sovereign in control of every aspect of their life. If we walk in faith and trust with this God, He will turn it all around for our good. Why? Because God is always good and he never changes. That is why the Bible says in First Thessalonians especially 5.18, we need to thank God in all circumstances. Why? This is God's will for you. Why should I give thanks? Because God is good. Meaning there is nothing ultimately evil or damaging that can happen to me. As long as I am a child of the living God, it cannot happen. Because why? Even the evil, he will turn it around for my good. Therefore, you know what? I don't have to look at what is happening in my life. I can give God thanks all the time. You know why? It is all turning around for my good. Whatever they did to Joseph, turn around for his good. Whatever you did to David, it also turned him around for his good. God is able to work it all out for our good. You know why? God is always good. And we saw in Philippians 4, right? Bring, be anxious for, be not be anxious for anything. Why? Why shouldn't I be anxious for anything? It is not because God is powerful. Let me tell you, the gods of this world are powerful. Otherwise, people will not worship them. The gods of this world have their own power. Satan said that, you worship me, I'll give you everything that you want. But that is not the reason why we are not anxious. They have gods they worship which have power, but they are anxious all the time. But we are not anxious all the time, not because our God is all-powerful, but because our God is always good. That's the reason. Their gods are not good. They are not always good. Our good, our God is always good. Therefore, we can be anxious for nothing. And what do we do? We can take everything to God with prayer, with supplication, and with thanksgiving. We can give thanks. How can I give thanks? Because you know what? You are always good. Always good. We worship God for His power, His holiness, righteousness. But we thank God always. Why? Because He is good always. We can good always. Psalm 119 and verse 68. I'm sorry, I didn't give it to you. I gave it to you. Okay. You are good. And what you do is good. Okay. You are good. And what you do is good. Why does God do good? Because he is good. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord for his good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, say this, those who redeemed from the hand of the foe. Does the redeemed of the Lord say this? 
What are we supposed to say? God is good? All the time. Those who are redeemed are supposed to say, why? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what? That is good and his love, his mercy, his goodness endures forever. Okay? You see, the last two chapters of the Bible is the climax of his goodness. You know, you need to read when you're very upset, read Revelation 21, 22. The epitome of his goodness. Let me ask you this question. For whom is all that goodness? For the angels who never fell, who never sinned against him, never disobeyed him, walked in obedience for ages and ages? It is for them? No. For scumbags like us. Truly. For us. It is for us. Who failed him always. Never thanked him enough. And even when we got something, we are not grateful. You know what he has prepared for people like us? That is his goodness. That is his goodness. Why? Because God is good and he does good. Okay? Now as we come to the end, closing. Matthew 7, verse 17 and 18. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear. God knows this. When we fell in Adam, all of us became batteries. Okay? We produce bad fruit. So God is not interested in our good deeds at all. He's not asking us to do anything. You know? Because bad fruit tree produces bad fruit. So what does he do? Matthew 13 and verse 37. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Okay? So Jesus is a good seed. Jesus comes with a good seed. And First Peter 1 and verse 23. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So God is not first asking us to do anything good. First he makes us good. First he makes us good. Okay? First he makes us good. And then he says, start growing. Let Paul plant Apollos waters, God has to give increase, okay? You have to do the things that will produce. The seed is already there. The seed is good. It's a good seed. Now you have to produce, okay? Efficient, sorry. Uh, therefore, what are we supposed to do? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever, anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about it, you know, so it all begins in the mind. Now that you are born of the imperishable good seed, think good. Think good. Start thinking good. Focus here. That's why think on things that are above. Think good. The problem is the devil causes us to think bad. God says, no, think good. Start thinking good. It begins. You cannot do good without thinking good. Start thinking good. Start thinking good about people. Not bad about people. Start thinking good about people. Start thinking about doing good to people. Good to people. Start thinking. Thinking good. Okay. Romans 12 and verse 9. Yeah. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Okay. Cling to what is good. Okay. Cling to what is good. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. We were created in Him. Because the seed is good, the works will be good. But think on it, 
Stay away from this. Cling to what is good. Okay, Colossians 1.10. I didn't give it to you. Yeah. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. This both has to go together. Grace, knowledge and works. Good works. Why? This, every tree will produce according to its seed. If you are born of good seed, it has to produce according to its nature. A bad tree cannot produce good seed fruit. This is consistent. Consistently you will keep on increasing, increasing, increasing. That's what the word of God is talking about. I'll give you a few verses. Okay. Turn to Titus. Chapter 1. Remember, this all started with Titus. Chapter 1, verse 16. Then we'll go to chapter 2. They claim, this is a lot of people in the church in Crete. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedience, unfit for doing anything good. Teach them. So teach them. Paul is saying, teach them, rebuke them. These are people in the church. In Crete. Okay, chapter 2, verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. The older women. Next words, five, two, five. Younger women, be self-controlled, pure, to be at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husband so that no one will, uh, yeah, uh, to be kind. That one, the other person will say, to be good. Okay, to be good. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, to be good. Homemakers to be good. Okay. Everybody has to be taught. Just because you are born again does not mean automatically it comes. These things have to be taught to everyone who is born again. You know, you are born again of the good seed. Start producing accordingly. Learn to be hospitable. We saw about the elders. Okay. Second thing, be good to seven. To seven. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Of good works. Pattern of good works, 2.14. 2.14. Who gave himself for us that he may redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And the good works of the church stand out. It stands out. It stands out. It is not the good works that saves you. It is the good works that saved to do. And saved have to do it. They have to be taught to do it. 3.8. Titus is full of it. Okay, This is a faithful saying and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Careful to maintain good works. It's not once in a while. You have to maintain it consistently in your life because that is the proof that you have been born of that good seed. Okay, Born of good seed. Okay, If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. We'll just finish this off. 6 and verse 10. <clears throat> Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay? When you begin doing good, the Bible says, first to the household of faith. And then, outside. Meaning, if you have to choose between two people, same condition, whom will you choose? Depending on the Holy Spirit. Okay? But here, we are being told something. Okay? As we have opportunity. And you look around, like I said during the prayer yesterday, you look around, there's always opportunity to do good. It's always opportunity to do good. Ephesians 4.29. 
4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. He says, believers has need to be very careful about what you say with your mouth. Don't say anything that is bad. Okay, that destroys. Only that is good, that edifies. Edifies. Okay, even when we are rebuking, the intention is good. Even the rebuke has to be good. Rebuke has to be good. We need to be very careful about these things. God says, you know what? The goodness affects everything. It affects your life. It affects your thoughts. It affects your words. It affects your works. Goodness permeates into everything. It has to permeate into everything. Little by little. Ephesians 6, 7 and 8. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. So those time, most people are slaves. They say it doesn't matter. You don't worry about it. When you are so, when you are doing good, do it as to God, because your master may not even say a thank you. He may kick you also. You don't worry about it. He says there is a time of rewards that is coming. Time of rewards that is coming. You know. So we, we're just looking at different concepts about what it does it mean to a believer. Last week we looked at hospitable. This we are looking at a huge facet of God's character. That is, he is good. And it is out of his goodness that we are standing. Let's look at a couple of more. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. And then First Timothy. Comfort your hearts and establish in you every good word and work should be established in us. Meaning it becomes our nature. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went about doing good. Went about doing good. He didn't do a single bad work. You'll say, what about cursing the fig tree? That is a good work. It became an example to us still today. (laughs) Meaning if you don't produce good works, ultimately your end will be like this. You had no real life in you. Your life was false. Okay, so there's nothing that Jesus did that was bad. He went about doing good and he said, this is what my father is. Final words for today. First Timothy chapter 6, 17 to 19. 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Okay, if you are rich, God bless you. He gave you the power to make money. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud because of your riches. Do not put your trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. You know, you say, see, God is saying, you know what? You have something which others don't have. You have the power to do good. A lot of people want to do good, but they don't have the power because they don't have the money to help a lot of people. They don't have it. But what if you are rich and in the kingdom of God? God says, do you know what you can do? Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't put your trust in your riches. Instead, what do you do? Turn your wealth into a vessel. Turn it around. And use it to do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. You know what he says? To be rich is not bad in the kingdom of God. It gives you power. Abraham was a very rich man. Isaac was a rich man. Jacob was a rich man. They were all rich men. Okay, they were all rich men. And the Bible says, to be rich is not a curse. It's a blessing. 
It's a blessing. But don't put your trust in it. And see, so you know what? Take your riches, take your wealth, and put it into good works. So this morning, the whole idea is that we misrepresent God's character. We are all guilty of it, all of us. You know what? We don't put across, because we were made to be image bearers, likeness of God. Okay? And you know what happened? We messed it up. You messed it up. And Jesus came to restore. And we need to grow in that image. We need to be hospitable. Next week we'll look at something else. Hospitable. Hospitable, I mean, that is where the original word hospital comes from. Hospital, the original term was not meant to be a place where you take care of the sick. It is where you take care of the needy. That's where the hospitality industry comes. Okay, hospital. We are hospitable. No, you know, person is hospitable. He, he, he will not turn you away. He will not turn you away. Okay, he will not turn you away. The second thing God is saying is the goodness of God. We need to learn to be good and not mess up the image of God. Okay, God is, God is severe. Okay, God is severe. But even in his severity with his children, it's because of his goodness so that he wants us to share in his righteousness that everything that God does, ultimately we will know. That's what Moses understands and his swan song is that God is good. Basically, that's what he's right in all his ways. He's good in all his ways. We have to learn these things. Otherwise, we are just alive neck above. And there is nothing to show that we are really living children of God. But that's what God put us over there. Like, ultimately, like father, like son. Okay, like father, like son. The devil is not always bad. His too is good. He's only good when it benefits him. And every good done in the religion is basically to benefit you and not to the other. In karma theory, if you do good, it is for you and not for the other person. In Islam, if you do good, it is for you and not for the other person. Under the law, if you did good, it was for you and not for the other person. But under grace, you do good because you are good. Because your father is good. You are not doing it for the for yourself. You are doing it because that's your father's nature. You are already secure in the love of your father. You already know your father is always good to you. You already know you can never lose. And you already know this is what your father is. You know what? And therefore, you act like your father. That's what God is telling. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Doesn't matter how many times we come and sing. The fact is, all of eternity we will be still learning how good you are. How good you are. The riches of your goodness that causes us to repent. The greatness of your goodness. You are good, therefore, you always do good. And even this morning we are here today because of your goodness, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you. If we came through six months and three days, it's because of your goodness. Your mercy was there every morning. Lord, the mercy which we did not deserve, you showed it to us. And the grace we received every day, the goodness, we did not deserve. You showed it to us. Oh, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, people will learn, all of us to learn to build a genuine relationship with you. 
that we can come boldly, come running like a child to his father, to the throne room of grace, knowing our father is good. And all you did during your walk on earth was to show how kind, how merciful, how loving, how good the father is. So good that even now he's preparing a place for us where he can dwell with us forever and we can dwell with him forever. For the word of God says, not that we went to heaven, but New Jerusalem came to earth. God came down to us and he dwelt with us forever. That is your desire, Lord. Help us to love you. Knowing who you are, Lord. Good God. Good God. And I pray today. All those who are listening. It doesn't matter what they have come from. What they have done. What life they have lived. Maybe they are all, all of us are prodigals. But they can come back to the Father. And Jesus is not the eldest brother. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He's exactly like the Father. Exactly like the Father. The entire difference of that story with Jesus is both the Father and the Son will be competing with each other to clothe the prodigal son. To celebrate together. In heaven there is no elder son standing outside. He's with the Father. Rejoicing with the Father. It's as all the prodigals come home. Covered, restored, loved, and above all, celebrated. For the lost ones have come home. Help us to have the heart of the Father, Lord. Because the world is full of lost people. The orphan spirit. We are not orphans. For you gave us the power to be the sons and the daughters of the living God. We are secure in your love, Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless your holy name, Lord. We are proud, Lord, to have a father like you. Proud, Lord, that we have a father like you who will love us to the uttermost. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Come in the rest of the day into the hands. The Q&A later in the evening into the hands. Everyone, Lord, into their hands. We know those hands are loving. And in those hands, everyone is secure. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.